Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Good to have you back as always. Thank you. Now let's get to our first article. New research from the Center of Nutrition, Exercise and Metabolism at the University of Bath. They have found that drinking coffee after your morning meal is better for maintaining healthy blood sugar levels if you've had a night of poor sleep. After, Now, after yeah. okay. So, coffee is a popular morning drink, right? And people have always said that it's bad for health if you just drink coffee in the morning. Now, why is it suddenly good for you? I mean, the study looked at uh, before and after breakfast, isn't it? And they found that if you have poor sleep and then if you take coffee before you eat your breakfast, your active sugar levels go up. And that's interesting because uh, I think the reason is because of the hormones that are playing here. Your When you have poor sleep, it's like a stress. So, your cortisol goes up and probably some of your other uh, you know chemicals like adrenaline not adrenaline also uh, increase and then the first thing you do is uh, take coffee which is another stimulant so again that probably stimulates the sympathetic they call it and increases again your adrenaline not adrenaline and whether that actually has more counter effects on your you know body and the body is instead of uh, you know decreasing your sugar the sugar goes up because of all the stress hormones right. that are uh, there whereas after you eat your meal you know the body sort of You know, it's like relaxes, so everything just relaxes. So your insulin is now secreted to bring down the sugar. And you take coffee after food, I suppose it won't cause the same sort of stimulant effect as on an empty stomach. What if you take coffee with your breakfast? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that that's what it is. actually the study showed. You know that if you take coffee after just with your breakfast, then it's better. Doesn't sort of sort of shoots off the glucose level, unlike if you take on an empty stomach. Okay, but what about people who only drink coffee for breakfast? Looking at that study is not a good idea, actually, isn't it? You know, though you might think that actually I only take coffee, I don't eat anything, it should be good. So it might not be, you know, because the sugar goes up. But interestingly, if you find that people who do intermittent fasting or things like autophagy Correct. and all yeah, that, they do a lot of coffee. Yeah, uh, they actually take say coffee doesn't disturb the the, the fasting, sugar levels, the fasting level. So again, we have to wait and see because again, different studies come out and say different things. So I think we have to wait and see because if you are maybe it's because of the poor sleep, it's a stress. Mm. But I think when you're just doing intermittent fasting, you're just naturally, you know, in a natural fasting state and won't disturb your hormones. You don't drink coffee, though, Doc. No, I'm more of a tea guy. Right. Have you never had coffee or? I maybe once or twice just to, you know, got no choice because somebody gave it to you right. and it just tasted a bit, but it's not a... Oh, it's a tasting. It's not a... No, no. Yeah, no, I don't no. like coffee either. Right, really? But my husband is like a coffee addict, yeah, so, yeah. and he only drinks coffee in the morning. Because I drink a lot of coffee. How much coffee a day? day becomes not good for you. I suppose again we have uh, from what we studied now from genetic genes and all that we got people who are good uh, metabolizers. I mean, yeah. some people can metabolize their coffee very fast and they don't have any side effects to coffee, where some people can't. So if you take coffee and you find that you can't sleep, you you know get that palpitations, your hand tremors, that means you are one of those slow metabolizers and you will have problems with coffee. But if one of those people who can take a whole black coffee and go to sleep, then you are probably one of the fast metabolizers. So safer for you. So that's one way to know whether. Genetically, you are bad. Coffee is okay or not for you? All right. This next article talks about hepatitis C, doctor. So unlike hepatitis A, which is spread via polluted food and water, hepatitis C is actually a blood-borne pathogen that causes liver diseases such as cancer and cirrhosis. 
cirrhosis. How do you say that, doctor? Cirrhosis, yeah. Cirrhosis, right. yeah. Cirrhosis. It's like liver disease such as cancer and cirrhosis. Like, what is hepatitis C, doctor? What are some of the symptoms? I mean, you got uh, all these different viruses, you know, hepatitis, so A, B, C. I think it goes up to E or oh. you know, even E. Just the B and C that are the ones that uh, have long-term effects. A is an acute illness. You can actually get a severe acute illness from A, get liver failure and die within that short period. Or you just recover, have a mild illness, but it's gone. There's no chronic. Whereas B and C, the virus actually stays there and it can get chronic hepatitis, which will lead on to cirrhosis and then ultimately cancer of the liver or liver failure. B was, you know, long time we know people are actually already on, uh, tested for hepatitis B. In fact, everyone nowadays take vaccines for hepatitis B. Yeah, I've B. got that as well. Yeah, yeah. so, so it's, uh, most of us will have antibodies. But hepatitis C was n- never diagnosed for a long time and it went on to cause a lot of problems with cirrhosis and can- liver cancers and liver failures. But now they discovered it. But the treatment was not that great. But mm. now we have got new drugs that can actually even eradicate the virus. Very high treatment uh, successes. So it's very interesting that now we can actually get hepatitis C and the article says about 400,000 people get infected a year and uh, so that's a big number good we can test the hepatitis now we have treatment for it the only issue is the treatment is still very expensive so most people still can't afford it and even doing the blood test is not that cheap but I think all this now that we discovered the virus now that there are new treatments coming it will like hepatitis B hopefully it will come easier to test of course uh, uh, hopefully the treatment will come cheaper and hopefully we'll get a vaccine like hepatitis B you know so that in the future what are the symptoms to look out for if we have hepatitis C uh, that's the thing with hepatitis B and C that they might have no symptoms for many years really? yeah unless you do a blood test and you discover it or you come with a cirrhosis already or you know what is cirrhosis actually cirrhosis is uh, basically fibrosis of the liver the liver gets inflamed and then it just gets fibros fibrosis imagine it just all Protected, hardened up, and it's not going to work anymore. President Donald Trump was actually treated for COVID 19 with a high dose of this experimental antibody concoction, apparently, called Regeneron. What is the effectiveness of this experimental drug versus the current conventional treatment for COVID 19? I think the best answer will be no comments, but. No, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's so, exp- you know, monoclonal antibody that they used on him and uh, it was surprising. It's still so experimental, you know. And, you know, for a drug to be, you know, before they even allow it to be used, there's going to be a lot of phase one, phase two, phase. That's what the problem the vaccine is going on now mm-hmm. that they want to fast track and a lot of the health authorities are saying, no, you have to go through that safety things, you know. You go to your phase one, phase two, phase three before you can even let everyone get the vaccine. But I suppose when you are the president, you've got, uh, you know, uh, options that others don't have. Exactly, we're talking about that yeah yeah so and uh, I mean he is you know leader of the you know, free, big world. free world and so <laughs> he's probably important that his health is there and that he recovers fast especially when the elections are coming so I suppose they would have discussed with his doctors and they thought let's try this because uh, the, the amount of studies they've done they already done about four patients yet huh you know, yeah. You mean this experimental drug? They've only done a study on patients. four people. Uh, four wow. patients. I don't think so. It's gone more than that from what you see. So it's something very new. Uh, and uh, again, how effective? What's going to happen? Uh, but you know, these antibodies will fight against your uh, virus. So whether it works against COVID, uh, the other problem is what are the side effects of this? Correct. We yeah. don't know the side effects. Uh, so I will wait and see. We shall yeah. see, I guess, yeah, on Donald Trump, yeah, exactly. whether any side effects yeah. will happen. And since he's on TV, we will definitely see it. Right? <laughs> but you, I mean, I've heard what hydroxychloroquine and then there was from Desvir. Yeah. Right? Those were the 
I think I don't know about hydroxychloroquine, but I know it was given uh, this uh, monoclonal uh, rembes- uh, remdesivir yeah. and dexamethasone, the steroids. Right. This was the treatment that they were they mentioned for him. What does it do? I mean, all these drugs. I mean, that's antiviral. That the remdesivir is an antiviral. Right. The, your steroids are to reduce inflammation. The, they get a cytokine storm, cause a lot of inflammation in the body. Right. So that's to hopefully to reduce that. And that's what's uh, being used here in Malaysia as well to treat. I'm not sure what uh, whether we're using uh, which antiviral we're using, but uh, for severe cases definitely using dexamethasone but this um regeneron it's an antibody concoction means yeah. they put all the antibodies in there i think they get these antibodies from the plasma of patients who had uh, you know recovered and that's how they create this so i don't know whether this is from that or is a synthetic one so I'm not sure. Now, doctor, a study published recently by the British Medical Journal finds that central fatness, which is the excess fat stored around the abdomen, is associated with a higher risk of early death from any cause, regardless of overall body fat. Like, whereas if you have larger hips and thighs, you have a lower risk. I mean, we were always under the impression that body fat placement, regardless of location, is bad for health. But why does it change the risk of early death in this sense? Yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, they call it uh, abdominal fat, let's say, or, you know, the visceral fat that's uh, stored around the organs and all that. It's actually a more serious, more dangerous uh, fat than uh, someone just being overweight. You know, someone is just a big size guy, all over his uh, fat. Actually, his risk of dying is less than someone who's thin, but got a lot of abdominal fat. Yo, you know? interesting. So, so yeah, <laughs> Because right. this visceral fat is basically an inflammatory organ. It's like an organ by itself. You know, it releases a lot of inflammatory uh, cytokines, and it is uh, actually what we call metabolic syndrome. So once you got abdominal fat, it's actually one of the first signs we call it. You know, where your insulin levels are going to go up, your blood sugars are going to go up, your cholesterol is going to go up, your blood pressure is going to go up, your risk of heart disease, strokes, and cancers increases. You name it, almost every disease that we talk of, from chronic kidney disease, is all related to this metabolic. Syndrome, uh, you know your abdominal fat. I call it the Middle Earth. You know, <laughs> <laughs> love uh, handles. Oh, yeah, love no. handles. Lot, a lot of the things, the Middle Earth, <laughs> and that's that's where you know when people ask me, you know, how big must it get? I say it's very simple. Take your thumb and index finger and pinch. You can pinch your record abdominal fat. Oh, oh no! Right? And it's just a matter of whether you have a bicycle tire or a lorry tire. I call <laughs> it, right? And uh, if it's uh, the bigger the tire there the more dangerous it is for you. So, I think we really need to work and let people know that, you know, this abdominal fat is actually a cause of disease and why this happens is just a few things. You know, you're not exercising enough and number two, you're eating a lot of refined carbohydrates. Uh, so, you get insulin resistance. The insulin takes all these increased sugars and store it as fat and this fat gets accumulated there and becomes an inflammatory organ by itself and causes all the disease. So, I think today we got a, apart from COVID, another epidemic or pandemic in the world is basically this abdominal fat uh, diabetes overweight and all the issues that come with that prevention is so simple it's just you know getting a good regular exercise cut off your refined carbs eat a more balanced meal uh, reduce your stress have a good sleep and you know, a lot of diseases can be avoided. Is there such a thing as good fats though? Yeah. Like I mean, good fats are the ones when you talk of bad fats, talk of saturated fats and all mm. that's more in your food, you know. So good fats are polyunsaturated, monounsaturated. So it takes like, you know, salmon, fish or avocado or some nuts. These are good fats, right? Which are anti-inflammatory. So they reduce inflammation, mm. right? Bad fats are all the stuff that we are fried and full of. Uh, not only do they have a lot of saturated fats, almost a lot of toxins come in and they're very inflammatory. And they can, together with the refined carbohydrates, 
make this you know abdominal fat worse. Now, doctor, the health ministry announced last week that all fine salt or salt that weighs 20 kilograms or less must be fortified with iodine before it can be sold in the country. So, why is it that we need salt in iodine now? I'm surprised actually that we are key iodine deficient, you know, that the uh, ministry said that we are iodine deficient. Now, of course, a lot of countries, people who, you know, they don't have enough iodine. In those countries, uh, you find that a lot of them get the thyroid problem mm-hmm. and uh, because iodine needed to form your thyroid and thyroid is important for so many body functions, you know. So, if you get hypothyroid, one is uh, you can affect a lot of your body systems, the way it functions, your heart and many other things. And, uh, and then you get this goiter that you know steroid swelling that occurs so I was actually surprised to know that uh, we are they also thinking that we have iodine deficiency in this country so one solution will be just to fortify the salt with iodine that's a good way but I don't know where they got the statistics that we are actually iodine deficient mm-hmm. of course we on and off we do get patients who have low thyroid but it's more of a uh, uh, genetic problem or where they have thyroid problems where the thyroid is not functioning anymore but I was surprised that we actually have I thought iodine deficiency would be rare in a country mm. like Malaysia with so much of variety of foods and a lot of foods actually have iodine so what are some of the health benefits of iodine? I mean the only benefit is basically your thyroid you need okay. iodine to benefit your thyroid and it probably has some other effects in the body and metabolism but main thing is the thyroid that is the one that uh, you know you need for everything actually okay. so if your thyroid levels are low you can have a lot of uh, problems you know people can go into heart failure a lot of other things uh, that are not functioning properly in the body so thyroxine is a very important hormone so too high or too low can be a problem uh, sometimes we tell people you know that have a low uh, thyroid to eat foods that are high in iodine mm. things like your seaweeds and certain cruciferous oh, right, foods okay. so I think you can go in and google there's a whole list of so iodine Japanese food foods. Is actually yeah high. yeah high in iodine so you can just google for iodine rich foods and try that but since ministry is going to supplement into our salt okay but here we are discouraging people from taking too much salt mm. but now we're gonna fortify the salt with iodine meaning that we are encouraging people to take more salt yeah i suppose you're right there you know, <laughs> I, I was actually quite confused that you know because i always tell my patients you know don't take too much of salt because uh, sodium is no, not very good it's for it's about taking the right kind of salt yeah I, I would take the things like uh, you know sea salt or you know the things himalayan, like, uh, himalayan salt, salt and all yeah. those type of you know but uh, taking just plain salt sodium is something that because we also have a lot of issues with hypertension in this country but now they added iodine so yeah that's a good question i would want to know <laughs> <laughs> We I should would, ask the health ministry. Yeah, we should actually uh, look at encouraging more iodine-rich foods. And the other thing is ask people to go and see whether they're actually iodine deficient.